This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash retailanywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retailanywhere. Hello and welcome to Daily Drive. It's Monday, March 21st, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has caused many economic as well as humanitarian losses. Here's a new one, a worsening logistical situation in Europe as Ukrainian truck drivers return home to defend their country. We'll have more on the strained supply chain a little later in the show. First, let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. The world's biggest maker of batteries for electric vehicles is reportedly looking at sites in North America for a massive $5 billion plant. Sources telling Bloomberg that China's CATL is aiming to build a factory capable of producing as much as 80 gigawatt hours of batteries a year. The facility would eventually employ as many as 10,000 workers. The sources say the company is considering sites in Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. However, it has concerns over the availability of labor and other trade issues. If built, CATL's new North American plant would produce a mix of battery types and supply Tesla along with other automakers. This follows the news on Friday that Stellantis and LG Energy Solution will reportedly build a new battery plant in Ontario, a source telling Bloomberg that an announcement will likely happen on March 23rd. Automotive News Canada has since reported that the plant will be in Windsor, Essex County. The two companies said in October that they planned a battery cell-making factory in North America but did not specify a location. General Motors is acquiring a larger stake in self-driving company Cruise. Late Friday, GM said it is buying SoftBank Vision Fund's equity ownership in Cruise for $2.1 billion, and GM is making an additional investment of $1.35 billion in Cruise. The two moves increase GM's share of the company to 80%. Small public auto retailer LMP Automotive Holdings is selling its corporate jet, in a regulatory filing, the company says it found a buyer for its 2008 Gulfstream G200 aircraft. LMP is selling the jet for $6.7 million. Just last October, LMP bought the plane for about $5.6 million, so that was kind of a winning investment. Not everything has gone so well for LMP. It's struggled to get financing for acquisitions, and last month, the company said it was exploring strategic options, including a possible sale of the business. Turning to Russia, one pullback and one resumption. Robert Bosch is curtailing its operations in the country amid signs that its parts may have been used for non-civilian purposes in violation of its policies. The German mega supplier has halted deliveries of truck components to Russian customers, pending an investigation into how the parts are being used. Ukrainian officials said Bosch parts were found in Russian military vehicles. Bosch has three plants in Russia and generated sales of $1.3 billion in the country last year. And in Moscow, Renault resumed production at its plant today. The French automaker had suspended operations at the factory in late February, 
saying at the time it was due to a forced change in existing logistic routes. Russia is Renault's second biggest market. And that's the news you need to know. A lot of suppliers are stretching themselves to invest in the transition to electrification. So disjointed production schedules and rising commodity prices are making business really hard. How bad is it? We'll get into the details after this. As online experiences have continued to evolve, it's clear dealers need an approach that will keep them in the business for the long term. Chris Walsh, Casey Edwards, and Dave Bates, top Reynolds executives, sat down to discuss today's digital retailing landscape. Here's an excerpt from that roundtable discussion. So what are dealers trying to do to get this fully online and online to in-store experience? I mean, that's a great question, and honestly, it's, a, it's kind of a hard one to answer because retailers are kind of defining and using digital retailing differently. You know, to some dealers, it's selling a car. To other, it's sales and F&I, and they, they tend to be approaching it in chunks versus, you know, kind of a holistic, holistic approach, and then you end up just focusing on one or two things when you need to focus on, you know, more of a big picture. Digital retailing is dealership operations, period. Reynolds Retail Anywhere approach focuses on streamlining dealership operations and improving profitability. For more information about this big picture holistic approach, visit rayray.com slash retail anywhere. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash retail anywhere. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters. Last year on this podcast, I interviewed Martin French, the U.S. Managing Director for Barrels, about the challenges faced by auto suppliers. He expressed his confidence in their resiliency, calling them tough cookies. With the war in Ukraine, high inflation on fuel and materials, a widespread labor shortage due in part to the COVID-19 pandemic, now he tells me those tough cookies are having to be tougher than ever. I reached him last week in the U.K. Martin French. Welcome back to Daily Drive. Jamie, good to speak to you again. Always good to uh, always good to be on board with you. You spend a lot of time working with suppliers, and it's been a persistent theme of mine that this COVID economy has been remarkably good for automakers and dealers, and it's been remarkably horrible for suppliers. Uh, they have suffered through... Uh, inconsistent production schedules, you know, pretty unpredictable at times. And of course, just low volumes are uh, uh, really devastating to their businesses. Uh, it's been such a, such a rough time. And now, of course, they're, they're faced with even more challenges. What's, what's the big picture for suppliers right now? Um, I, think, I, think it's, I think it's just so tough to be a supplier right now. Um, you know, we've talked about it at length before, but the, but the way that, that, that I see it, even with my own experience of, of being, you know, in the supplier side of the industry for, for close to 20 years, the, the supplier is always the first one um, that gets hit really, really hard. Uh, you know, on, on the COVID side, it was the, it was the stopping of production. Um, people are sick, uh, raw material shortages, and then pricing, and then contracts. Um, just kind of just one thing after another. And I think the, the problems faced now is amplified even more because 
the, the material shortages are still there. The raw material price increases have been going up before um, before disruption broke out between uh, UK and Ukraine and Russia. Um, people are still getting back on their feet and getting back into work after after the COVID uh, restrictions. And coupled with all of that, you have constant changing of um, supply and demand, different plants um, balancing their own production. But also this the, the big switch now from internal combustion engines to electrification, you know, that, that a lot of suppliers are really kind of on the edge in terms of they've got to invest big time. They've got to go big or go home on the on the investment side. But and they're having their margins and their bottom lines and their top lines absolutely battered right now because of uh, because of what's going on with material shortages, um, price increases, and just the the, the sheer pain of of, of um, production and um, the uncertainty of production. It's been such a challenging time, and now. Um, I know you've been in Europe uh, recently, uh, and with the, it seems like factories have been shutting down all across Europe. Uh, at least, uh, almost kind of a whack-a-mole of uh, you know trying to get supplies of wire harnesses or which plants are running out of them when they're running out of chips, and uh, it's been you know very unpredictable. Tell me what the what's the scene like? What are what are people feeling like in Europe right now? So we were talking about it just a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's almost like deja vu of 2020 when we were looking at uh, at a year or a potentially good year going forward. Um, and then, you know, you've got this disruption coming uh, and we don't really know how it's going to shake out. I think in general, everybody, everybody's really, really concerned, first and foremost, for all of, all of the the people, you know, in, in Ukraine are having to go through what they shouldn't have to go through. But um, what, what's quite interesting is all of the effects around the neighboring countries of, of Ukraine. So you mentioned about um, suppliers. You mentioned about the disturbances of like wiring harnesses and some of the factories having to close down. That's one thing. But the other thing as well that I didn't really realize and I missed a little bit is that actually the, the whole supply chain is completely disrupted now. And that's mainly because a lot of the drivers of the logistics companies that are moving um, freight and goods around Europe from uh, Eastern Europe and into all of the German uh, and, and French manufacturing plants, they... Um, the drivers are either staying in the Ukraine or going back to the Ukraine to fight for their country. So there was already a shortage of, of logistics help and, uh, and support and, and employers, and that's being squeezed again now. So the, the whole kind of industry is facing challenges on absolutely every front right now, um, not, just, not just in and around Ukraine, but, but all of the things that you don't think of, of the shortage of, of labor because people are going back to, to really stand up and help their country as much as they can. That's amazing. I had not heard of that either. Uh, what we've yeah. also learned, you know, about, you know, the, the vulnerability of the neon gas supply, which actually is a, a really critical 
component for making lasers, or I mean, using the operating the lasers to make computer chips, which has already been you know such a pain point for the industry. Um, the palladium, aluminum, nickel. I mean, all these materials that are going to be harder to come by. It's been, uh, uh, of course, it's a it's a humanitarian crisis first, but the economic pain is real and it ripples throughout the world. Absolutely, and and you know we we've kind of we were we were already at a at a supply and demand. Um, situation, you know, with the with the microchip shortages, uh, and and that was much more f- further along the along the value chain, you know, in terms of in terms of throughput, in terms of production. Now we're 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 down the other way in the in the supply chain. It's going to be a shortage of, of raw materials, like you said, of the neon, of palladium, and a lot of the a lot of the precious metals that are coming out of um, not just Ukraine, but out of Russia as well, where we've got a lot of restrictions and trade embargoes in place right now. We've also seen on the other side of the world, another earthquake in the north of Japan, Uh, not as much, not the same level of tsunami as 11 years ago, uh, but yet another disruption to the chip production. Uh, Do you see that having a, a big effect or is the is there hope that that is just a minor setback? I mean, I'm hoping that it's a it's a minor setback. I think that the situation that we're in, Jamie, is that the, the, the supply chain is just so much more delicate than it ever has been. Um, you know, I, I think ten or eleven years ago, that certainly the the all of the OEMs certainly learned from the. The, the tragedies, you know, of the of the last earthquake and, and tsunami in Japan, um, and put lots of early warning signs in place. But fast forward eleven or twelve years, I don't think anybody saw how fragile all other aspects of the supply chain would be because of the results of a of a global pandemic. Um, so we, we're just we're just in a, a, a perfect storm of 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 just a really bad situation at the moment. I think for the suppliers in terms of getting their, their raw, materi- raw materials and then the, then the knock-on effect of getting the, the, the parts through the chain and, and to the OEMs and into the, into the customers' driveways, it, it's, it, it's, just been, it's just been an unprecedented time. And I just think if we had, even if we learned from all of our lessons from 2011, 2000. 2012, and then a global pandemic. You know, then you're then you're thrown with a, a, a outbreak of war in uh, in Eastern Europe and, and 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 Russia. Then another earthquake. You you just start to ask yourself how much more can the system take, and how much more can the suppliers take then? So, Martin, what can be done? What can suppliers do for themselves? What what do they need from other stakeholders? So, I think the I think the first thing that the that the industry has always been very good at, um, certainly in the last 10 years of me living and working in the United States and with China and European companies is, is, the, is the openness, the honesty and the transparency suppliers have or need to have with the, with the OEMs. Uh, and I, I, think, um, I think that's been very, I would say, improved significantly through COVID. 
um, for sure. But certainly with with the likes of with the transparency that with Ford and GM are bringing to the table of of getting an eye further down the the chain in terms of the tier two and tier three suppliers, you know, and getting much more early warning systems in place. So I think that's 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 helping. But um, in terms of the, the the significant challenges that that are there immediately, which is which is pricing, pricing, logistics, raw material shortages, I think there just needs to be a real openness on and flexibility, certainly on the con- contractual side of, of of how both parties are doing business with each other. It's it's going to be really really critical moving forward to to keep that level of trust when we're going through these these dips. Everything's ebbing and flowing a little bit right now. Um, and I think we're going to see it's going, things are going to get worse before they get better. Um, and, it, and it comes down to, to trust and transparency. And that works really both ways on the supplier-OEM relationship. And is there anyone doing it particularly well or particularly badly right now? Um, I would just, I would say from my my own experience and from, from what I'm seeing, I mean, the Japanese OEMs, they've, they, they learned it the hard way, you know, 11 or 12 years ago, um, you know, in terms of their early warning systems in place and how they're working, um, how they're working with their supply base. And I think GM and, and Ford certainly in the last, in the last couple of years have, have tried to encourage a lot more transparency for the right reasons with their supply base. Uh, to, to, to help get things in place sooner and, and move product around and, and get parts where they need to be. So I think, I, I think there is definitely that, that trust there, but, it, but I still think it is very fragile and, and it doesn't help them when the, the third of the big three you know, go on record and say, well, if you want to play with the EVs, you're going to have to kind of eat it a little bit. And secondly, it, it wasn't our fault. It was the politicians' fault that wanted EVs. And third, we might even change the terms and conditions for you, you know, without you having a chance to review them. And I, and I, and I think when you're in a fragile situation of war breaking out in Europe, inflation going through the roof, raw material prices, uh, you know, getting higher, I, I know margins are really important and how the stock market is, is viewing the, the results right now. But at the end of the day, the OEMs really rely on the suppliers and, and you've really got to be careful that you don't pipe the hand that's feeding you and feeding your supply chain. Uh, Mr. Tavares, in a follow-up, said that uh, he thought suppliers should appreciate his candor. Uh, you know, we do, see, um, <laughs> we do see automakers really asking a lot of dealers and suppliers to help them overcome you know, the technological challenges of offering competitive electric vehicles. I don't suppose they appreciate yeah. uh, the insight uh, that he's sharing with them, uh, but what do you think about the, the problem with that? Is, I mean, is that something that they, how, how should they be working through it together? I, I, th- I think, and, I, and again, talking from, from, from experience is, is, first of all, is not to panic. Um, and and just and just get around that table and 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 talk and talk openly and be transparent. And I think you, you know you talk about that candor and that and that transparency of, of Mr. Tavares. But I and I think that I, I think that is great. I, I think a lot of people 
really appreciate that level of, of openness, you know, in, in the in the industry. But at the same time, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, it, it has to go it has to go the other way. And I think you've got to understand and really understand some of the the the, the, the the hardships and the uh, and the issues that a lot of the suppliers are facing right up front because it's hitting them first and foremost. It's hitting their pocket first and foremost. It's hitting their supply chain, their factories first and foremost before that even gets to the uh, to, to the balance sheet and the the, the, the results of the of the OEMs of what they report out quarter by quarter. So I, I, it, it, for me, it, it, I know it sounds uh, it sounds very straightforward, but the, the openness has got to be there on both sides of getting around the table, understanding what the issues and the challenges are. Martin French, Barrels Managing Director for the USA. Thank you so much. Jamie, pleasure as always. Speak to you soon. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. You can get all the news on the supply chain, manufacturing, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Thanks to Nathan Kadick for editing today's show. Thanks to the ANTV team and web editor Victor Galvan for their help. And thanks to you for listening and making this show part of your daily routine. Now let's all get back to work.